Welcome to Hub City Vineyard. To get connected or to give online, you can go to connect.hcv.church or give.hcv.church. If at any time during this message you feel called to make a change in your life, text Change Me to 97000. Thank you and enjoy the message. How's everybody doing today? Good, good to hear. If you're joining us from home, thanks for welcoming us into your space. So, uh, I just want to echo what was shared there on the announcements about this Friday, past Friday night's Night to Shine. Many people were asking and didn't quite know what it was. So what we have for you is a quick one minute and 30 second video synopsis that kind of gives you a taste of what went down here on Friday night. Would you like to see it? All right, let's check it out. was a debate over who had the best suit that night, you know. I personally thought the tie-dye suit was better, but my friend argued with me that his was better, so you know. But anyway, hey, uh, just to give you a quick idea, we had over 125 special guests. We had over 200 volunteers. Heck, we had over 25 on the wait list volunteers. Uh, So the point is, it was an incredible night of just sharing God's love. There were tears, there was laughter, there was dancing, there was karaoke, there was shoe shines, haircuts, makeup, you name it, it all happened here. And the point was, it all revolved around God's love for everyone. So can you just give yourselves a big hand? I mean, just me personally, it was one of the best events that I've ever experienced in my life. It was that good. I've already said to Tracy, we have plenty of room. We're going to double it next year. We're going to have 200 special guests and 400 volunteers. Is that okay with you guys? All right, cool. 
I knew it would be all right. So at the end of the night, um, all of our participants, special guests that were there, if you, the gentlemen received a crown, the ladies received a tiara, and it just recognized that they were the kings and the queens of the prom. It wasn't just one couple, it was everyone. And it was really special just to see everyone come together and, and recognize how God loved them. So I was praying for all of you yesterday. I was preparing to share with you this morning. I felt like God wanted me to share with you that that's how he sees you. He sees you as kings and queens. That if you're in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to receive and walk in that identity. Not just today. Not just this week, but for the rest of your lives. Because we're currently in a series called Love Letters. We're discussing John's letters to the church, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And last week, we kicked off our series discussing the everlasting love of Jesus. And today, I want to focus specifically on 1 John chapter 3. And it begins this way with a short, simple verse that I want to read over all of you today. See what great love... The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, exclamation point. What an amazing gift that is. It's a title, it's an identity, it's a belonging. And and see, our minds can't even grasp the depths of love that that gift is when he says to us that we are sons and daughters. See, all of humanity was separated from God by sin and by death and by destruction, but God made a way for us to be reconciled to him through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Because of his shed blood, he has given us new life. And all of humanity, you and I included, if we think back to before our relationship with God, many of us would consider ourselves simply dead man and a woman just walking this faith of the earth with no point or purpose. But now it is possible for us, think about this, to sit at the family table with Jesus, to, to consider him our brother, our provider, our savior. And not only are we invited guests, not only are we are special guests, but, but it's more than that. We are at his table as family. He calls us sons and daughters. Now, for some, let's be honest, that might sound like an exaggeration, an overstatement, nothing more. And you just simply dismiss it. You reject it. For others, you doubt it. This isn't really good news because you look in the past and you're overwhelmed with your choices and your mistakes and your bad attitudes, and you can't move forward believing and receiving that gift. But here's the reality. None of us deserve it. None of us are ever worthy of such a blessing. And yet, because of God's grace and love, we are given this priceless opportunity to be adopted back into the family of God. Now, hear me. We can never earn this. We can never do enough to receive the title. There isn't enough good works in you to make up for our sinfulness. But Jesus, in the shedding of his blood hanging on the cross, washes our sins away to make us right. Oh, but there's a catch. And some skeptics would say, yep, I knew it. There's always a catch. And the catch is this. It's our choice. That's it. It's up to us. It's up to you and me. It's a choice whether we decide to receive that gift and to walk freely in it or just push it away and reject the offer. 
Now, throughout John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, John uses family language extensively. Children, born, father, even the word brother at the end. Six times we see children. Four times we see born or seed. God is called the father in verse 1. Followers of Jesus are called brothers in verse 10. Twelve total references to family in 12 verses. And here's the truth I want you to see today. If you want to experience assurance of eternal life, you must understand and receive adoption into the family of God. To be a follower of Jesus means you have been born again as a child of God, which leads us to our first thought, our first truth this morning. See, God is our perfect father. God is our perfect father. Listen to 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. And see, this is really good news no matter how old, how young you are. You could be a student here. You could be an adult that that does not have a father or did not grow up with a father. Or, Or maybe you had a dad that wasn't really loving. It's good news to those that are old and young that we have a perfect father. And listen, even if you grew up with a great dad, it's still good news because God's a lot better than him. He's infinitely better than even the best dad on this earth. God is perfectly loving, perfectly kind, perfectly wise. God always knows what is best for us. He's perfectly powerful. He's never unable to act on our behalf. He's perfectly knowledgeable. He knows everything about our lives, where we've been, where we're going, what we're going to say. There's nothing hidden from him, past, present, or future. He is perfectly good. So if you're in a relationship with Jesus, this perfect, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God of the universe is your dad. He's your father in heaven. See how very much our father loves us. Now, some translations say lavished on us that we should be called his children. And I love that phrase, see how very much our father loves us. Think about it, see how. In other words, experience how much the Father loves you. Other translations say, what manner of love or such a great love. Now, in the original language of the New Testament, this word used here only occurs seven times. And every time it, it, it means or, or implies astonishment and amazement. So, so originally, the adjective meant of what country? So so think about what John is saying here. He says, the Father's love is so unearthly, so foreign to anything else that we know or experience in this world. It's otherworldly, that our God has otherworldly love for you. And, And don't just let that apply to other people. See, I believe right here where you're sitting in these chairs this morning, God is your heavenly Father. And and I want you to recognize that and that you belong to his family. And and that you don't leave it, but you're a part of it and you're accepted in. Look at your neighbor and say you're a child of God. Now look at your other neighbor, the one you ignored that doesn't smell very good, and say, hey, you're a child of God. See, salvation, friends, 
is not just God as judge sitting on a bench and declaring your sins are forgiven. And that's the end of the story. So many people, they they think of God as a judge and then they go to him to be forgiven. But once you're forgiven, he does do that. He stands from behind the bench. He removes his robes. He comes and meets us where we are. He takes away our shame and our guilt. And he says, come home with me, son or daughter. That's what he says to you. And God does this for you and for me. It's otherworldly. It's so foreign. Many people question, how is it even possible? Well, that leads us to our next thought and our next truth. See, Jesus is our perfect brother. Now, for some of you, you you think that that's a little inappropriate. You say, well, Chris, that's almost a slap in the face, our perfect brother. Because so many people, they think it's Jesus as Savior, as, as Lord, as King, but, but not as our brother. But, but listen to what the Bible teaches us. Hebrews 2, verses 11 to 13. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he has said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. I mean, listen to how Jesus refers to his disciples after he rose from the grave. Matthew 28, 10, Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. John 20, verse 17, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers. And tell them I am sending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. In Mark 3.35, he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. See, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the unique son of God. He is God in flesh, but he is also our perfect brother who made it possible for us to be adopted into what? Into God's family. And this is what 1 John chapter 3 is all about. If you look at all the descriptions of Jesus, listen to how he's described here in 1 John 3, verse 3, 5, 7, and 8. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. See, Jesus is pure. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins And there is no sin in him. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. So think about it. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's pure. He's totally without sin. Sin is nowhere to be found in Jesus' nature. He is totally unlike us. He is our perfect brother who came, according to verse 5, to take away the sins. But listen to verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Now think about that. The whole point is that the devil's work is sin. It says the devil has been sinning since the beginning. So since Genesis 3, the devil has been tempting men and women, every single one of us, Right To turn away from God's direction, from God's best for our very own life. Tempting us to go in our own direction, which leads to what? It leads to death. 
Remember, we talked about it last week. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about the direction we're heading. And, and it's the devil's work that, that ultimately leads us away from following Jesus. But Jesus came to destroy that work forever. And how did he do that? Well, that's found in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, which we discussed last week when we learned a new word. Anyone remember that new word? Propitiation. Remember, we all learned it. We all said it. I said, hey, don't spit on your neighbor, right? Jesus Christ, the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world, which means that Jesus came. He lived without sin, the perfect life. He died to pay the price for sin as a propitiation, which means a sacrifice for you and me. Then three days later, he rose from the dead with victory over sin and the devil, And I don't know about you, but that's a good big brother to have. You know, one who has conquered death and he's destroyed the works of the devil. And the Bible teaches that all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus are welcomed into the family of God as children of God. And listen, I've been praying all morning asking God, God, just adopt people into your family today. And and I know it. Some of you are here this morning and, and you just don't know God. You maybe have been checking out Jesus, checking out Christianity, trying to find the right church, and you're just not in that personal relationship with him. You've not turned from your sin or yourself. You haven't trusted Jesus as Lord. And I invite you, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today and be adopted by God. In fact, I'm telling you, it can happen this morning right where you're sitting. You can become a child of God that will it just change your life for all eternity, which leads us to our next thought, you see. So what does it mean for children of God? Well, children of God are imperfect people. See, God is our perfect father. Jesus is our perfect brother. But even after we're adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus, look, we're imperfect. And, and this can be read throughout John's love letters to the church, because so many people, they think love letters, it's all, it's all about love and perfection and oohs and ahs and sweet nothings getting whispered in your ear. But John's a realist, and he calls you out. He calls me out. He calls all of us out. He says, hey, you're going to struggle with sin because we're imperfect creations. First John 3, 4, 6, 8, and 10, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. I mean, we are imperfect children. I mean, even as children of God, we sin, which 1 John 3 and 4 defines as lawlessness. means that we break God's law. We, we, we choose not to follow what is written in the Bible. We choose not to follow God's ways, and we want to follow our own ways. And see, it all comes from the attitude of our hearts. It says, I, I don't want to know what God's best is. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to know what God says. I don't want to learn what the Bible teaches because I'm just going to disobey it. And these are horrible things for a son or a daughter to say to the father. I mean, he's a father whose ways are, are, are just perfect, loving, good, and best. 
And, and that's the difference between our earthly fathers and our heavenly father. You know, I love my kids. I have six children, and I know that if you're a parent, all across this room, you love your kids. We don't want anything bad for our kids. We want to do whatever we need to do to, to provide for them. We try to teach them and show them God's best and how we live and how we speak. We don't want to hurt them, yet sometimes, let's be honest, we don't do what's best for them. True or false? We make mistakes. You know, we, maybe we're stressed out and we're, we're just full of anxiety and we explode in anger at our children raising our voices. Maybe we give them counsel that's not very good because let's be honest, we're not perfect. I mean, Jess and I often look at each other and say, can you believe God put us in charge of six kids? I mean, we, we had no clue what we're doing. We simply rely on God through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the best we can do. But here's the beauty. God never asks, what do I do? Because he's perfect. He, he never doesn't know what to do because he'll always provide. He never ever is gonna give you bad counsel ever. He's our perfect father. He always knows what is best for us, always speaks to us and gives us direction, but yet we choose not to talk to him. We choose not to listen. We choose not to trust. I mean, we're prone to rebel against what is written in the book. And what is that? That's the essence of sin. And to make it even more sobering, since we're not following God our Father, then who are we following when we sin? Well, 1 John 3, 8 says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. See, whenever we sin, we are like the devil, acting in outright rebellion against God. Whenever we sin, even the smallest of sin in our lives, we're following the devil who, who hates us and wants to lead us to death. He's come to destroy us instead of a perfect father who loves us and wants to give us abundant life. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, Chris, that's, that's a little harsh. You may sound harsh, but remember what Jesus said to Peter. You know, Peter looked, Jesus looked right at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Well, your words are not from God. So, so if Jesus can look at Peter and say, get behind me, Satan, I know he can look at me and say the same thing. Paul, who wrote more than half the New Testament, writes this in Romans 17. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. So when we sin, what does the imperfect child of God do? The imperfect child of God does what we've seen and discussed already in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because Jesus is our perfect brother who sacrificed himself to cover our sins. So we confess our sin, we turn from it, and we receive his grace and mercy. We come back to him as, as our father and we say, God, forgive me. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to be tempted. I don't want to have these desires. I mean, that is a relationship with Jesus, daily learning to trust God more than we trust ourselves. See, when we sin against him, when we go to him and receive his forgiveness, guess what? We will grow in our experience of the good life, of the abundant life that our perfect father desires 
and has designed for us. That's the relationship with Jesus. Imperfect children with a perfect father growing in his grace to know and trust and love him more and more and more, which leads us to our fourth truth. You see, children of God live to display the family likeness. So let's put it all together. God is our father. He's perfect. Jesus is our brother. He's perfect. We are imperfect children, but Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. Sin does not have the power over us anymore, and we are free to experience life as children of God. So we grow more and more into the likeness of our father. I mean, we see this in our families, right? If you're a parent, don't you see yourself in your kids? You're darn right you do. The good, but more importantly, the bad. You see it come out. I mean, you see your parents in yourself sometimes. I mean, I know Jess says to me when I'm in an argument with her, hey, you're acting like your dad. She says it. And I'll say back, you're acting like your mom. I go right back. Anybody want to join me in the marriage class? Starts this Friday. Good and bad. But the good thing is when God is your heavenly father, the more you become like him, the better it always is. I mean, Ephesians 5.1, look, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. I mean, that's a relationship with Jesus, growing to, to imitate the father as children, specifically being conformed to the image of our brother, right? If we put this together, we read this in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, even through the toughest things in this life, God is working it all together for good. And many of you sitting here, you remember I said verse. You know that verse. You quote it often. You're going through a difficult time. God's going to work it out for good. God's going to work it out for good. But then you don't even know verse 29, which is the most important thing. What's the purpose that he's putting it all together for? Listen to verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The whole point is that our purpose is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. All things are working toward that end in that direction, that we might become more and more and more like Jesus. And that is why John writes this in 1 John 3, 2-3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. See, it's after John says this that he talks about how we don't keep on sinning. If we do keep on sinning, it's a sure sign we don't know Jesus, that we are not children of God. Listen to verse 9 of 1 John. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And again, when John says keep on sinning, He's not saying that the child of God never sins. He's not saying that. The word picture here is actively, continually to sin. Sinning without confession, without repentance, without any desire to change. 
And the Bible is saying that for the follower of Jesus, for the child of God, persistent sin against the Father without confession and repentance, it's just inconceivable. Like you just don't want to do it. For a child of God, his spirit lives in you. You have new life in him. You have abundant life and you're growing into his likeness. You flee from sin. You don't continue to walk in it. And, and that was what was so amazing about uh, Friday, two Fridays ago, we had uh, Freedom Night. And, and at the Night to Shine, I was sharing with one of our partners and he, he just looked at me, he goes, man, Freedom Night was incredible. And I was like, really just share your story with me. He goes, man, I have been struggling with this sin, specifically sinning for years. And two weeks ago, before Freedom Night, you called me out. You, you specifically referenced something, and I knew God was speaking to me. I knew it was a barrier between men and, me and him. And I came to Freedom Night, and I brought it all, and I just threw it away. And I walked away from it because I didn't want to continue to walk in that. And, and that's what God desires for his children. It, it, when it comes to a point that we make a mistake, that we fall into sin, don't stay there. Don't live in it. Leave it. Hate it, confess it, and then fight against it. And then the next time you're tempted, you know, use the name of Jesus with greater passion. Speak to it because he's destroyed the works of the devil. Because you want to be more like Jesus. That's what it means to be in a relationship with God. You want to follow Jesus. And, and every time that you fall short, you hate it. You don't want to fall short anymore. You, you want to please the Father. You want to follow his ways. You want to enjoy his life for you. And as a result, you can't wait until the day when you won't sin anymore, which leads us to our final thought. Look, children of God, focus on the kingdom. From the first verse we read in this passage, we hear about Jesus' coming. And, and not just his first coming. Remember, his first coming, he came to destroy the works of the devil, but his second coming. And it sounds like this in 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what it would be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. The words, we will see him as he really is, refers to the arrival of a king or a ruler with splendor and majesty. And here's the picture. Jesus came once over 2,000 years ago as a, as a little eight-pound, five-ounce baby in a manger to destroy the works of the devil. But Jesus is coming back again, right? And this time, and it could even be today, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a king, not in a manger, and he'll be riding on a white horse with a tattoo on his leg that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He won't be coming to destroy the devil. He already did that. He'll be coming as the one to claim those that belong to him. And it says in 1 John 3, 2, that we're going to see him physically, literally physically. So think about that. There's going to be a day, suddenly, instantly, that he's just going to be there. We're going to see him. And we're going to see him in all of his glory. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you, look forward to that day more than you look forward to anything else. And, and for some of you, like, whoa, tease, tell me about that. Look forward to that day more than you look forward to anything else, including your graduation, your vacation, your wedding day, your next promotion, your next raise, your next job, the next thing that you want to purchase that's going to make you happy, or even your retirement. 
Look forward to that day more than anything else in this world because you know why? In this world, we're gonna have trouble. There's trouble in this world no matter what we think is gonna make us happy. But on that day, when we see him, it's gonna be unlike any other because we're gonna be free from sin, free from sorrow, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things. They've what? They've passed away. It will be perfect. We will be with God, our father, our perfect father and our perfect brother, along with all of our other brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation as we're adopted into the family of God. So as imperfect children, let's live every day to grow into his likeness, which leads us to our action steps. If we grow into his likeness, the more and more we look like Jesus, the more and more we'll be loving others. And here's the picture I want you to see today. Love in the family reflects the love of the father. In other words, when a father loves his children and those children experience and enjoy that love and live in that love, then they will reflect that love toward one another, which leads us to our first step. Understand God's love compels us to love others. 1 John 3, 11, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. I mean, I look around at our, at our gatherings at 9 and 11. I look around on Friday night at, at, at night to shine, and we're all very different people. Like, all of us are just different. We have different lives. We have different backgrounds. Some of us are from different nations. You have different personalities, different jobs. You go to different schools. You're at different ages and stages of life. And let's be honest, we all have different problems. Many of us have different political positions. And some would say our political positions are our problems, and that's true. Regardless, we are different people. But think about this. One thing that brings us together every single Sunday is that we are children of God. We are loved by God. We are his sons and his daughters. And that's why we never look at any of those other things as a means of bringing us together. What brings us together is that we're children of God. His love unites us so that we would be a people captivated by God's great love for us. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was asked, well, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? How did he respond? Well, Mark 12 says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. He tells his disciples in John 13, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, this is how people will know you're a follower of Jesus. It's not because you say you're a Christian. It's not because you check the box that says, oh, well, I'm a Christian. It's not because you grew up in a Christian home, and it's not because you go to church. They will know you're a child of God if you love one another. That's how they know it. And that's why John, the same disciple who recorded Jesus saying those words, he laid on his chest, is now saying this in a letter to the church. He says, if you don't love one another like this, there's a reason to question whether or not you're even a child of God. Because love in the family reflects the love of the Father. Which leads us to our next step, and it's a reality check for all of us. We have to recognize hate 
is the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And there's just a lot of confusion in our world today about what hate is and what love is. Because for many of you, 75% of you sitting here say, well, Chris, I don't hate. But let's see how the Bible defines hate and how God defines it for us. Hate originates with the devil. See, John goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 when Cain murdered his brother Abel. And the Bible says Cain was one of the evil ones. And that's a reference to the devil, who is the author of sin recorded in Genesis chapter 3. 1 John 3, 8 says that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And John says this to the devil in John 8, 44. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. And he's challenging the religious Pharisees of his days with these words. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is the origin of hate, which the Bible basically defines as selfishly seeking another's harm. Why did Cain murder his brother? Well, according to 1 John three twelve, it says, We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, what God did not want for him, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. He was following God's laws. So the ultimate example of hatred is the desire to harm someone else. Is Cain taking the life of another? A person's life is the most precious possession. So to take it away from another is the greatest sin you could commit against anyone. But remember what Jesus taught back in Matthew 5. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, these are Jesus' words. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was reading that this week, and that's stepping on your toes. See, hatred... It's not just an outward action like murder. It's an inward attitude of anger towards another person. And the Bible challenges every one of us to examine our hearts and ask, is there any evidence of anger towards others in our hearts? You know, and, and for many of us, it doesn't matter if it's at home, at work, in our community, at our church. It is. I mean, we gossip. We call people names. We make fun of people. Heck, when we think about certain groups of people, we have this hatred come over us. Friends, that's the opposite of love. And that's a sin. The, the Bible says, no, that's a sin. You need to repent of it. Now, don't miss the everyday effect of hatred. 1 John three seventeen, John writes this. Listen, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? I mean, the everyday effect of hatred is indifference that leads to inaction. Busyness, consumed with yourself. I mean, you put it all together, we may not murder someone, we may not even have anger towards another person, but if we see another person in need and we're able to meet that need, yet we choose to ignore them and to close our hearts towards them, that's not God's love. In a, in a sense, it's hate. Hate. Because we're not allowing ourselves to be used. 
It's not necessarily seeking another person's harm, but it's being content to allow that person to continue to suffer. And the Bible says that's not from God. This is evidence of spiritual death. It's evidence of a lack of God's love in your heart. And that's why John says back up in verse 13, do not be surprised that the world hates you. Remember the way John uses the word world, right? It's anything that's against God, anything that's against the Bible. And he says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still dead. See, the church, you and I, it's not this building, the church is called to be different from the world. We're called to be set apart. Not set apart in that we don't spend time with them and, and talk to them, engage them, but set apart means we look different. We're not the same. Did you know that Sunday morning church is the most racially divided place in the world. Sunday morning church in the United States of America is the most racially divided place in the world. That shouldn't be. I mean, it shouldn't be so. And, and, and if anything, we as a community of faith, we can't be indifferent to it. We have to work to change it. Because we are going to worship with every tribe, tongue, and nation when, when we are in eternity. And we need to work to change that here. Okay? And it's not just issues of race, but it's any area of your life. See, we do not naturally have hearts that are inclined to love selflessly. You know? Like what we're reading about. We're quick to judge. We're quick to hate. We're quick to anger. We're quick to just ignore people because we're busy. We're quick to turn away. How about this? We're quick to think of ourselves first. Have you ever thought, you know, you drive, you see someone in need, maybe it's a homeless person, they want a dollar or whatever, and, and you think, hmm, how is this going to affect me? It's my last dollar. It's all about me. It's not about them. It's part of having a sinful heart in this world. We get focused on ourselves, and God says, that's not a child of God change, which leads us to our next step. Practice compassion that leads to action. The Bible is clear that love originates from God. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. The greatest harm you can do is to take the person's most precious possession in their life. So what is the greatest good you could do for someone else? Give your life for them. Lay down your life for them. You're like, Chris, are you saying I need to die for them? No, it means you get your selfishness out of the way. It means you put others first because that's what Jesus did. Human religion is built around what we can do for God. But the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of the good news is what God has done for us, out of love for us. I mean, you can know what love is because Jesus laid down his life for who? You and me. And I invite you to receive that love today. This is the supreme example of love. And how does that play out in our everyday lives? Well, instead of indifference and hate that leads to inaction, it's everyday love that's full of compassion and leads us to action. 1 John 3, 18 through 19, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Followers of Jesus should have compassion in our hearts when we see others in need, which leads to action on behalf of those in need. And when we do this, what's that evidence of? Jesus. 
We are an example of Jesus. God, our Father, has given us his children new hearts. Hearts that are now inclined to love like his son, like our perfect brother. And that means when our hearts are prone to hatred or anger or indifference, God gives us a supernatural power as his children to love instead, to feel compassion like he feels, to lay down our lives for others in need. And friends, I just want to encourage you, I see this all throughout our community of faith. I mean, this past Friday, as I was walking from room, karaoke room to shoes being shined, to makeup being done, to food being served, to, I mean, this place looked like a dance hall. Did you see that image? Like, we're going to have, people are going to want to do proms in here, and we're going to say no. Okay, that's night to shine only. Sorry. Too much work, man. Too many chairs to move. But, but the point is, that was all done out of love. You know, you serve sacrificially. This week, we will, we, will, we will spend over 600 community service hours this week serving at the cold weather shelter, serving the homeless. You know, we'll play games with them and pray for them and, and worship with them and, and just love all over them. Why? Because of compassion and love. This Wednesday, if you've never given out a flower on Valentine's Day, we'll give away 400 flowers in the square in downtown Hagerstown. If you've never done it, come do it with us. And this is why. Because when you give someone a flower and you see that smile on their face, it makes it all worth it. And I'll tell you what, something that's just changed my life this past year, every other Wednesday, we're going to Hagerstown Healthcare on the dual highway, and we're spending an hour and a half with, with the forgotten with people that are in a nursing home. And I'm not talking about older people. I'm talking about the forgotten of our society that the state sends and puts away, hoping that they'll die and stop wasting money. I mean, these people don't have friends, they don't have family, but we are going in there every other Wednesday. There's several of you that serve with us and our staff, and we just love on them. And we worship with them and we, we share with the, the Jesus with them and we pray for them. And they're a part of our community of faith. And they're so much a part of our community of faith that they have asked that we send people to them on Sundays to start our live stream with them at 11 o'clock so they can have church with us because they're a part of our church. Does that make sense? So I want you all, and I said this during our first gathering, pray about, pray about, can I go? to Hagerstown Healthcare on Sunday mornings at 11 or 10.30 or whatever, start our live stream. All you gotta do is turn YouTube on, start a live stream, high five for Jesus, all of them, worship with them, pray for them, encourage them, and then go back and share the good news with all of us. You know, is God calling you to do that? Because I tell you what, that's a church there. That's a church, that's the segment of our church that's on the dual highway. It may not be here in person, but it's there. And they want us to come and love on them. And why? Because it's compassion. Loving action towards others. It's not natural for us. It's supernatural, which leads us to our last truth. Be empowered by God's spirit. As his children, God enables us to love like he loves. And this happens when he empowers us through his Holy Spirit. Look at 1 John 3, 23 to 24. And this is his commandment. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus. Love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So John describes a twofold commandment. Believe in Jesus. That means we put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then we what? We love one another. Those two go together. 
And then when you believe in Jesus, as you love one another, right, he fills you with his supernatural Holy Spirit within us that, that overwhelms us with his love. And, and then other lives are changed. Just think about it. How does someone come into a relationship with Jesus? If you're in a relationship with Jesus here this morning, this is how it works. The Spirit was working in both you and the person that led you to Jesus. It's a both-and thing, right? There was a person that was an example of Jesus to you, and you were drawn to them. And in being drawn to them, you then heard the truth and put your trust in Jesus, and now both of you are changed. Every person in this gathering has that same story. You have that story of whether trusting or not trusting, right? And then one day, when you experience God as your Savior, you overwhelmed you with love. Now you are filled with the Spirit, and now you are called to go and do the same. And I have prayed and believed that there is a supernatural work being done right now. That our relationship with God is a supernatural life characterized by a supernatural love. It's a love that's not natural, and it's a love whose origin is supernatural. It's a love that can't produce on our own, but only God can produce in us. We can't be marked, right, by this world. We can only be marked with the spirit that is living inside of us. You know, you can talk about aliens all you want. The Holy Spirit is outerworldly. It's not from this place. And it's God's beckoning call for you to go and share that.